Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you ladies and gentlemen the seasons may change the climate may change but God remains the same you know it's such a comforting thing to know that our lives are in God's hands and today Thanksgiving Sunday I want to invite you ladies and gentlemen to just worship God like you've never done before in the book of Isaiah Chapter 6. In the New Living Translation says, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. May this entire building shake as we honor God and worship God. He says, then I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. And I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongues. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Father, we thank you for the privilege, O God, of listening to your word, speaking your word. We're grateful because your word never returns to you without accomplishing the purpose for which you have sent it. So as we humble our hearts before you this day, O God, we ask that you have your way, Father. Holy Spirit of God, as you did with Isaiah, open our eyes so we can see our God, that we might worship him in spirit and in truth. Blessed be your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I mean, today, ladies and gentlemen, I, I'd like us to focus our attention and our heart on God. You know, Isaiah had been a prophet in the courts of the king until Uzziah died. And then the Bible says, the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord. It changed everything. It transformed his ministry. And I pray that today the Spirit of God will open our eyes and transform our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. That he would give us a deeper revelation of God like never before. You know, I was thinking a few days ago, you know, if God is calling us to launch out into the deep, surely it must begin with a deeper revelation of God. Because that's what changes everything. And today, I wanted us to just look at some aspects of this awesome God. You know, Isaiah saw his splendor, his majesty. Today we want to look at 
a part of God that should bring our hearts to the place of worship. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I read that the month of April, you know, the month of April derives its name from the Latin verb aperio. Aperio means to open up. So apparently the month of April was named April to open up because this is the month that the buds on plants open up and begin to blossom. Did you know that, ladies and gentlemen? So as the buds open up, they named it April. May your heart open up to God this morning. The two aspects of God that I wanted us to focus on. And I start by saying, ladies and gentlemen, that God is a God of covenant. And why I say this is that as we see God, we respond to God. That's the nature of a covenant relationship. Everything God does, everything God says, he expects us to respond. And the two aspects that I want us to focus on today as we just open our hearts to God. Let me read the scripture and then we'll look at the aspect of God. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you, from the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountain in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I'll be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. The first nature of God that I wanted us to look at and then respond to is that God is a God of promise. The Bible says, he says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. It's not like God did not know Moses was dead. But he was saying to Moses, first of all, that Moses is dead, but the promise still remains. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to say to you that whatever the situation looks like in your life, the promise of God is very alive in your life. And then verse 5 is really my focus. It says, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. I want to say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that God is always good on his promise. But then, God doesn't make a promise and leave you alone. If God says to launch out, ladies and gentlemen, it's because God is there with you. He says, no one will be able to stand against you, for I will be with you. I will not fail you or abandon you. And you know that word, abandon, I was checking the, the Hebrew word for abandon is the word azab, which means to leave something behind. And God is saying, if I speak my word concerning you, ladies and gentlemen, I will not leave you by yourself. I will be there with you to fulfill my word. And then guess what? I found out literally a few years afterwards, literally a few years afterwards, in Joshua 21, if you turn your Bibles to Joshua 21, 
in Joshua chapter 21, exactly what God said to Joshua, exactly what he said to Joshua is what we see in Joshua 21 in the New Living Translation. It says from verse 43, So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. Verse 44, listen. It says, And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had solemnly promised their ancestors. None of their enemies could stand against them, for the Lord helped them conquer all their enemies. Exactly what God said in Joshua chapter 1 is fulfilled in Joshua 21. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Everything God has spoken concerning you, ladies and gentlemen, it will come true. I know you don't believe it. Everything God has spoken concerning you, it will come true. I know you still don't believe it. Everything God has spoken concerning you, it will come true. You know why, ladies and gentlemen? The Bible says everything God said to Joshua. But then in, in chapter 21, it says all the promises he promised their ancestors. So the promise wasn't just to Joshua. The promise actually started 700 years before that. When he called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he says to Abraham, come, come out of your land and come into the land I'm showing you. And he says, I will bless you and give you this land. But Genesis chapter 15, he repeats the, the, the promise. Genesis chapter 17, he repeats the promise again. In Genesis chapter 22, ladies and gentlemen, something awesome happens. Because by this time, God had given Abraham, his son Isaac, the son of promise. But then, he now says to Abraham, sacrifice the son. And as you know, in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham obeys God and tries to sacrifice the son. But listen to this, Genesis 22, verses 15 to 18. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your descendants, listen, ladies and gentlemen, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. You know, the nature of a covenant is that God says and we respond. God promised. God is always good for his promises. But then it was because Abraham responded to his promise that we see the fulfillment you know, I love the way the writer of Hebrews, and this I found mind-blowing, ladies and gentlemen, in Hebrews chapter 6. I'll read the message version. It says from verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, he backed it all the way, putting his own reputation on the line. He said, I promise that I'll bless you with everything I have. Bless and bless and bless. Abraham stuck it out and got everything that he had been promised to him. And then he goes on to explain. He says, when people make promises, please listen. 
They guarantee them by appeal to some authority above them so that if there's any question that they'll make good on the promise, the authority will back them up. But when God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word a rock-solid guarantee. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable, ladies and gentlemen. I felt God wanted me to speak to some person, whether here or watching online. Somebody is saying, you know, I'm going through stuff. I'm going through challenges. Like Amichi led us in the prayer. There are lots of challenges all around us. And somebody is saying that I'm drowning, trying to keep my head afloat. But God says, he will never abandon you. He will not fail you. His promises concerning you, they'll come to pass. You know why, ladies and gentlemen? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. If he speaks a word, he's a God of promise. Everything God does with us is always based on his promise. And when God speaks a word, ladies and gentlemen, he always fulfills his word. Because God is faithful. I hope somebody recognizes, and if you didn't before, please, like Isaiah, may you see God the way he really is. That there's nothing God cannot do. There's nothing God cannot do. And even when it looks like nothing is happening, ladies and gentlemen, God is constantly working it out. You know why? It was 700 years later that the children of Israel entered the promised land, but he had promised it to Abraham. And the Bible says he stuck to his word. He made good his word because he had guaranteed his word by his person, his reputation. Ladies and gentlemen, can I say to you once more that God will never fail you. God will never let you down because he's a faithful God of promise. And what is our response? Our response, remember, a covenant relationship always requires that as God does his bit, we respond. What is our response? Our response is to just believe God and obey God. Believe God and obey God. You know, the song says, I put my faith in Jesus. My anchor through the... Can you help me, please? He is the God of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go on, go on. Help me, please. We worship you, God. His Father. You are so faithful in me, Jesus. Someone just worship God. The God of God of Abraham. You're the God of covenant. Faithful promises Time and time again You have proven You do just what you've said Though the storms may come And the winds may blow I'll remain steadfast And let my heart learn When you speak a word it
Can I get us to declare together? I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the my hope and firm foundation. Let your circumstances define God for you. Because God is God and God alone. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed, He will not change. If He was faithful to His promises to Abraham, believe me, my brother, my sister, He'll be faithful to His promises to you. All He's asking, your response is to hold on to his word of promise. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, he put his reputation on the line. He used himself as a guarantee. He couldn't find anyone to swear by. The Bible says he swore by his integrity. And God is not a man that he should lie. He's not the son of man that he should change his mind, ladies and gentlemen. If he has said it, he will do it for you. And not only will he do it for you, he will walk with you along the path until he brings it to pass. He will not fail you. He will not abandon you. You know, I love the way, I love the way that same scripture in Hebrews chapter 6, the latter part, verse 19, it says, we who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. Don't let go of your hope in God. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline. The New Living Translation says, This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. That's God for you. A faithful God. But then I said to you, there were two aspects of God that I wanted us to look at today. He's a faithful God, a God of promise. But ladies and gentlemen, God is also a passionate God. Exodus chapter 34. You know, when God says, I will be your God and you will be my people, what he's saying is that I am committed to you. I am devoted to you. I am, I, I'm trying to find words or adjectives to, to describe I'm tied to you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. So he says, I'm your God. I'm your God. I'll be your God. But he says, I want you to be my people as well. God is a God of passion. Exodus chapter 34. I want us to read the scripture together. In verse 14, in the New Living Translation, says, you must worship no other gods, for the Lord whose very name is Jealous is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. 
Zechariah chapter 8 verse 2. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. My love for Mount Zion, and I'm sure Mount Zion represented the people of God, represents you and I. He says, my love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong. I am consumed with passion for Jerusalem. Ladies and gentlemen, a God of passion. Consumed with his passion for you, his love for you. He says, I'm a jealous God. You know, that word jealous in the Hebrew, I looked it up, it's the word kana. Q-A-N-N-A. It means a strong desire and deep devotion with the expectation that the relationship will be exclusive and faithful. You know, when people are jealous, you know when we use the word jealous, when people are jealous, they're jealous because they don't want to share their relationship, their love with somebody else. Even though it's displayed negatively. But God says, I am jealous about my relationship with you. I'm passionate. I'm consumed by it. I'm dedicated to it. The question, ladies and gentlemen, is what is our response? The same way we respond to the faithfulness of God, the promises of God, by holding on in faith. What is our response to the passion of God? You know, I was, my, my son and I were playing around. We, we play around quite a bit. And a few days ago, we're, we're talking. And then said to me, he said to me, he came and hugged me. And then said, Dad, you know I love you. I said, yes, I know. I love you too. And then said, he waited 30 seconds. I'm sure, maybe less than 30 seconds. And then said, oh, can I have some money? <laughs> so I said, ah. Is that, the, is that the yardstick of my love? And you know, we laugh, ladies and gentlemen. But sometimes our relationship with God is more, what can I get from God? But God says, if I'm passionate about you, if I'm consumed about you, if I'm devoted to you, I want your devotion as well. I want your passion as well. You know, in the Old Testament, they didn't have the privilege that we have. Their relationship with God was through an intermediary, the high priest. And the, the point of focus, the meeting place of the, of, of the relationship between man and God was the altar and the temple. And on the altar the people would bring their sacrifices, their burnt offerings, their, you know, the different offerings and place it on the altar. And then they would light a fire to it. Ladies and gentlemen, the, 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 the fire, the offering and the fire was meant to be representative of the devotion of the hearts of the people. And then God, who, if God was pleased with the offering, his fire would come, the meeting of God's fire and, and, and the meeting of the, the fire of the hearts of the people. What descriptive of the kind of passion, the kind of devotion, the kind of relationship God wants with you and I. So in Leviticus chapter 6, he sends a message through Moses. The message still applies to you and I. Verses 8 to 13, he says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Give Aaron and his sons the following instructions regarding the burnt offering. The burnt offering must be left on top of the altar until the next morning, and the fire on the altar must be kept burning all night. 
In the morning, after the priest on duty has put on his official linen clothing and linen undergarments, he must clean out the ashes of the burnt offering and put them beside the altar. Then he must take off these garments, change back into his regular clothes, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. Do you know why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't clean out the ashes, after a while the ashes build up and then they prevent the fire from burning properly. So every morning, there's this ritual. They, they, they put fire to the burnt offerings. And then in the morning, they clean out the ashes so the fire could keep burning. He says, meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must never go out. Each morning, the priest will add fresh wood to the fire and arrange the burnt offering on it. He will then burn the fat of the peace offerings on it. Remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. Three times, God says, remember, the fire must not go out. Ladies and gentlemen, what is the state of the fire in your heart? Remember, the covenant-keeping God, he gives, we respond. He says, I'm passionate. Oh, I'm what does passionate mean? I was looking for... It says intense, ardent, strong devotion. That's God. But how about you and I? What's the state of the fire? Should I tell you the answer? Because, you know, I'm sure I've told you this before. When God gives a message, I start with myself. And I was doing a stock check and I thought, if truth be told... The fire is not burning as it should, if truth be told. If truth be told, many of our fires have dimmed. If truth be told, many fires have gone cold. And you know, these things happen very slowly. When fire is going out, it doesn't just snuff out. It goes out very slowly. And if we don't pay attention, if we don't like the priest continually put new, new wood on the fire, the fire will go out. You know, the, 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 you know with this, this increase in, in the, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the, what, the what's it called, the, the prices of, of, of gas and electricity, everybody's being careful. The other day, my daughter called me and said, said, can I come and stay in your house? Because I don't want to put on my, my heater. But then everybody is watching their prices, but not paying attention on the fire. God says, you mustn't let the fire go out. You know, the work of a thermostat, ladies and gentlemen, is that as soon as the temperature is going below a certain level. The thermostat kicks up and reignites the fire. Have you checked the thermostat of your heart lately? Where's the fire? Where's the passion, ladies and gentlemen? I was reading about John Wesley, and I'm sure most of you have come across that, the, the, the quote. People were asking John Wesley, how come people always rush to you to hear the word of God? 
And John Wesley's answer is simple. He says, I ask God to set me on fire. And people simply come to watch the fire burn. Are people seeing the fire of God in our lives, ladies and gentlemen? Are people seeing the fire of God in the church? Where's the fire? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. May God open our eyes this morning, but as importantly, may the Spirit of God come afresh upon you and I and set our hearts on fire. God, let's just lift our hearts before God. Just, just open your heart before God. Remember, the month of April, a perio, is about opening your heart. Just open your heart, open your heart to God this morning. A God who is faithful to you, but a God who is also passionate about you. And in this covenant relationship, he's looking for the same. Ash.
Fire, 
chapter 12. This is what Jesus says. Luke chapter 12, verse 49. And the Passion Translation says, I have come to set, set the earth on fire. And how I wish it were already ablaze with fairy passion for God. I've come to set the earth on fire. Ladies and gentlemen, he starts with you and I. He says, how I wish we were already ablaze with fairy passion for God. And that's why you can understand when Jesus was sending his message to the churches, the seven churches. He says in Revelations chapter 2 to the church in Ephesus, I paraphrase. He says, you're, you're, you're doing all the right things. You know, you come to church, you give your offering, you do all that, you pray, you fast. But he says, this one thing I have a problem with, I have against you. He says, you don't love me like you did before and you don't love each other as well. You know, the fire on the altar in those days was the visible evidence of the presence of God. Today, the fire of the Holy Spirit in our hearts is the visible evidence of the presence and power of God in our lives. And that's what will change the world around us. But if the fire goes out, how is the cold, dark world going to be changed? Holy Spirit, set our hearts on fire. Can you say that prayer, ladies and gentlemen? Just say, Holy Spirit, set my heart on fire. Go on, just say that prayer. Holy Spirit, set my heart on fire. Set my heart on fire. God is looking for those who will respond to his faithfulness with faith and obedience. But he's also looking for those who will respond to his love and passion with our own devotion. Holy Spirit, set my heart on fire. Oh, yes. I want more of you, Lord. I want more. Set my heart on fire. someplace that when we come together into the presence of God before the throne of God it is so that we will have daily encounters like Isaiah did with God 
encounters where the fire of God is lit afresh in our hearts. So we come in and we live with the fire of God. I read, what a tragedy. What a tragedy. If people come to church and they go out exactly the same way they came, that's religion. Because the presence and the fire of God is not there. There's no way anyone will come into the presence of God with hearts open to God that God will not set their hearts on fire. Please just say that prayer once more. Lord, set my heart on fire. Holy Spirit, set our hearts on fire. Father, we thank you. We bless you, Lord. We're grateful. We're grateful for... We're grateful that you are a faithful God. Grateful that you never fail on your promises, O God. And Lord, today we present all our hearts to you. Asking that you will have your way, O God. Have your way. Like Isaiah, may we have a revelatory encounter with you again, O God. Set our hearts on fire, O God. That we may burn for you in a world that is dark and cold, O God. Blessed be your holy name. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. And as I end, ladies and gentlemen, um, I just wanted to make an appeal. We can talk about the passion of God for, in fact, frankly, for the next few weeks, it's all about the passion of God. Because in a few weeks, we celebrate Easter, starting from Palm Sunday next, next Sunday. And that journey from Palm Sunday to Easter is all about the passion of God, his love for you and I. Because it's his love that drove him to the cross. I say all this to say, ladies and gentlemen, that if there's anyone here or anyone listening to me, wherever you are all over the world, and you have not embraced this love of God, a love that is unimaginable, the kind of love that makes him take your place on the cross. To be beaten and bruised for you and I. I wanted to invite you, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't done that, please will you open your heart and just receive the love of God in your heart. And remember I said, the ways of God, he gives and we respond. If God has done so much, if Jesus has given so much, if he's died for your sins, he took your place on the cross and died for your sins, your response is simple. It's just, just to appreciate the sacrifice of God and then give yourself to him in surrender. So if there's anyone here, you haven't done this before, can I invite you to please open your heart and do so today? You're just simply saying, Lord, I, I thank you and I appreciate the sacrifice. I appreciate that you paid the price for my sins so that I can come into the love of God. And my response today is simply say, I surrender my life to you. And if there's anyone saying that today, you just want to surrender your heart to God, you want him to be your God so that you can be his child, his son, his daughter. I just want to say a prayer for you. Father, you know all hearts. Please look down into the heart of your son, your daughter, who is inviting you in, Lord Jesus. And sweet Holy Spirit, 
come into the heart of my brother, my sister. Lord Jesus, let them know even now as they surrender their hearts to you that they are yours, O God. That they've come into a loving relationship with you. And every word that we have spoken today will come to pass in their life. That you will not leave them alone from today. You will not abandon them. And you will set their hearts on fire for you. Thank you, everlasting Father. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen and amen. 